Alina, are you fake texting? It's super important. Ditwit, blubber, oddman, tweak! Anglophies. Gettle's gone? Well done, Russia. Not words you hear often from political commentators. <laughs> oh, I might as well just growl. That'd be about it. I hear an awful lot of judgment in your voice. Good afternoon, everyone. Or morning, if you're in the Pacific time zone. Or evening, if you're in the Greenwich Mean Time Zone thing. It's episode 8. God, we do this every fucking month. What episode are we on? Episode 8 of Anglophies. <laughs> I'm Raiden. I'm Alina. And I'm Kaylee. <laughs> Where we are joined by special guest Mark Does Stuff. That's hey. me. That's doing stuff. stuff. Yeah. That sounds Today, dirty. <laughs> right now he's Mark recording podcast. Exactly. That's right. That's right. Today his stuff is recording our podcast and we're very excited about it. And we are going to be devoting the entire show to the Princess Bride. Because we can. <laughs> it's the point of having a podcast if you can't talk about the things you want to talk about. And here we are. Yay! But before we get into all of that, uh, we thought that we would introduce all of our lovely, lovely listeners. I almost said viewers, and that would be wrong. <laughs> to Mark and and the stuff that he does. Too much stuff. Too much. So many things these days. It's great. I love it. <laughs> Longtime listeners of the Made of Fail family will remember Mark from his uh, many guest turns on the Mothership podcast. Mothership. But we have managed to uh, convince him that that is not the only podcast in existence. Yay, us. Right. It was Mostly Raiden. Mostly yeah, Raiden. It wasn't hard. Yeah. I was like, hey, Mark, so I have this podcast. I'll do it. <laughs> <laughs> And then you said Princess Bride. I was like, oh, I really need to talk about Princess Bride. Yeah. So, Mark, what I we probably have a listener or two who doesn't know who you are mm -hmm. and the stuff that you do. So why don't you why don't you give the elevator pitch? The elevator pitch. Or I could do my one sentence pitch to explain yep. what I do, which I had to figure out because I've I've been on three tours now promoting mm -hmm. my site, my books, and it's really hard. To do that and explain what I do very shortly. So I came up with it, which is that I run an, a, a book club on the internet, or film club if you're talking about Mark Watches, where I am the only person who has not read or watched the thing that we are discussing every single day. And so it's a, it's a, a lovely journey through fictional worlds, but I am completely unprepared when I go into them. I do not research what I'm reading. I don't find out plot things, characters, actors, any of that stuff as much as I can control it. And then I write about the experience of reading or watching something for the first time. I have to say, I think you deserve that Hugo nomination just for the sheer heroism of, in this day and age, staying unspoiled on the internet. It's been, thank you to, for, to Tumblr Savior. Uh, it's been <laughs> great and amazing. And my Tumblr Savior list is about 250 things right now. <laughs> Shit. I would say about 25% of my Tumblr like the people I follow actually makes it to me unedited, which is great. <laughs> it's fine. But uh, yeah, uh, that and then uh, most people are really respectful about it. I really haven't been like hate spoiled yet, which is another magical miracle of the Internet. 
So right, there was only that one thing in Buffy. Uh, yeah, which <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm really invested actually right now, like my personal pet mark project, because I'm sure all of the people who participate in your community have this one book or TV show or whatever that yeah. they particularly want you. My next upcoming one will probably be Dragon Age 2. Oh, <laughs> I, I have been finally had the chance to start playing video games again because I have a little bit of free time and it came down to. I didn't know what I was going to I was going to either play Dragon Age 2 or play Borderlands 2. And then I got a free copy of Borderlands 2. So I've been using all my free time to play that. But I really, I love the Dragon Age world a lot. You need I to love play too. I, I need, it. like, but you have, um, because you've already, they, they're carrying over some characters from, not the main Dragon Age game, but from, um, they're not called expansions, but the, the DLC, stuff? DLC stuff. Yeah. So you'll have at least one. Well, no, there is one character who was like a minor cameo in the main one that you meet, that who's a, one of the major companions. So there's a little bit of crossover, but mostly it's it's all new, and I just can't wait. I can't wait either. Just, <laughs> It'll be great. Clone myself so I could just have one one version of me sits and plays video games all day. That's a terrible <laughs> use of a clone. Let me just back up. <laughs> if I clone myself, I hope I don't do that with it. You could just call your twin brother. <laughs> That's true. You were gameplaying me. <laughs> At least if you had a clone solely for video game purposes, it couldn't screw up the space can continuum that much. I feel like it's a relatively safe choice to give your clone a job to do. That is. That's a fair point. Yeah, you you for validating my terrible. See, you don't think about these things. <laughs> what if it's the other way around? What if your brother is the one? You are the clone who gets to do all the the hobby stuff. You get Fun to read things. the books and watch. Wow, the that game. that explains so much. <laughs> that's a much better idea <laughs> because wouldn't you rather be the clone who just gets to play sure. video games all day well and then you can use you const- you have an excuse not to do other things constantly because you could just be like I'm a clone I'm not a real human being I don't know but responsibility <laughs> fuck that no. oh my god this was a movie wasn't it it was wasn't it um that's his what's his face that guy god <sighs> What the hell are you talking about? There was a movie about a guy who cloned himself just so his clones could go out and do things. Multiplicity? Yes! With uh, Michael Keaton. Yes, yes. Why did was... I remember that factoid? Why was the Simpsons episode as well? Does that count? Yes, it, yes. it always counts. It oh, always yeah. counts. But that was, and then the clones made a clone and it wasn't very good. Yeah, yeah. I remember that movie being awful. Well, I remember it being funny. Michael Keaton is not exactly known for good movies <laughs> excuse you <laughs> <laughs> you mean beetlejuice he gets a free pass okay. on a lot of things Be- that's true beetlejuice is the exception that proves the rule <laughs> i feel like if we went to imtv right now we could find more but that would take us way off topic oh. <laughs> exactly and i've already gone there stay on top other i've already gone there <laughs> The efficiency on display here. Well done. Wow, he really hasn't been in a lot of good things. Um, he was in Herbie Fully Loaded. Ow. Wait, uh-huh. he was in Batman at one point? He was, yes, he was, yes, he was Batman. Okay, okay, I have one that is also good. He was in Toy Story 3. Okay, played. He played Ken. Fine. Ken was great. <laughs> <laughs> he was also in that movie Jack Frost. <laughs> that was awful. Yeah. Okay. Well, we're on subject. So, yeah, bringing it screeching back on topic. Currently 
on Mark Reed's, you're doing all of the Tamora Pierce books, like all of them. Yeah, yes. Her entire bibliography. It's Her great. entire bibliography. Yes. Um, and you're wrapping, you're getting towards the tumultuous conclusion of Newsflesh by Mira Grant. Yep, 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 yep. And on Mark Watches, you're doing Friday Night Lights, which mm-hmm. is incredibly fun. And my personal favorite show of all time, The West Wing. Wing. Oh, my God. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good summary of the experience of watching that show. Just, oh, my God. Yeah, pretty yeah. much. Yeah, it's great. It's so American. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> so much America on Mark Watches right now. It's beautiful. It's... It's true. And also as bonus features on Mark Watches, you're you just started season two of Dead Like Me? Yes, that's right. Yes. Which is fun. A very bizarre show and I love it. Yeah. <laughs> Brian Fuller, you are just yes. and take all of my money. Yeah. And it's funny because it uh Mandy Patinkin brings us kind of in line with today's topic. Oh my god, that was the best segue. Very good job. <laughs> We do. That's yeah. right. That's right. Yeah. That was in no way accidental at all. No, not at all. Not at no. all. Why would you say that? Let's talk about Mandy Patinkin. <laughs> his beautiful face. His beautiful face and his beautiful singing. Hello. Hi. <laughs> My name <laughs> is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. Hello. My name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. Um, So, The Princess Bride. (laughs) This has been a cultural touchstone in nerd circles for... When the movie come out? 86, 87? And this is why we have 87, yeah. Wikipedia open as we record. (laughs) (laughs) And... I mean, the book came out in 1973. Yeah. Let's at least pretend to be erudite readers here and (laughs) care about the novel. I care about the novel. It's my favorite book of all time. Yeah. It was... There are pictures of... When I went to Paris, I took pictures of my my food because it was French food. And there are pictures of the book with my lunch because I was reading it while I was eating, you know, in Paris. I really didn't have a point to that story. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, so first we're, we're going to talk about kind of our personal introduction to the concept of the princess bride. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you guys didn't hear this because this was before we started, but uh, we, we asked each other, is there anybody here who read the book first? And there was this shame-filled silence. <laughs> <laughs> you could hear the nerd guilt. Yep. <laughs> I first saw the movie, it's in elementary school, I think it must have been fourth grade, based on the, the room I remember us being in. That it was raining and they were like, fuck it, we're just going to show you all a movie and maybe you won't destroy things. And they said, this movie is called The Princess Bride, it's amazing, there's sword fights, there's princesses, there's this, that, and the other thing. And I'm like, great, totally sold. I'm good with that. And then it opens 
with the fucking little baseball computer game. And I was like, no, what? What? I'm being punked. This was before punked, but I'm being punked. (laughs) And then it was perfection. I don't... I will say this. I honestly don't remember the first time I've seen it, but I'm pretty sure I've never seen a Russian dub of it. And you, you guys have to understand that the early 90s, the dubs... There was one voice, there was one guy who dubbed everything. And it was like, you could hear the original English text under it. It was, it was a very specific experience. <laughs> but I'm pretty sure the Princess Bride was not given that treatment. So I must have seen it after moving to Canada on TV. Because I only ever remember the lines in English. Uh, and I don't know that it made that big an impression on me but I was aware after the fact that it was kind of a big deal so I always remembered seeing it oh I remember what my first impression of it was that was the girl from Santa Barbara <laughs> because so popular as we did get mm. <laughs> well my first experience of it was in my first year of English at high school we actually had to watch it as part of an assignment on different techniques of filmmaking and for some reason they picked this film and it didn't entirely stick with me there was bits of it I remembered really well liking but it wasn't until I read the book when I was 15 I think we had a copy of it in the school library and I just completely fell in love with the book and I would take the book out once every couple of months just to read it again so that it could make me smile because nothing to this day makes me laugh as much as that book does there's just something so wonderful and comforting about it that appeals to me every single time I read it, it always feels fresh and the fact that we are inevitably going to tear it apart right now is breaking my heart just a little bit <laughs> analyze it <laughs> lovingly we, we, we may lovingly it a little bit <laughs> the, the criticisms I have of it are like I wouldn't even bother with them if it wasn't a book that I really liked and it wasn't a story that I loved that's true. We are going to be spending our time and effort here on it today. Yeah. <laughs> How about you, Mark? No, I don't... Have you seen I... the movie before? Yes. I mean, I, I grew up... I, it was the same thing with me. I don't remember the, the first time I saw it because when it came out, I was only three, four years old. Mm-hmm. So once my parents were okay with me watching it, I, I would say I was probably seven or eight. And I think by the time I was 15 years old, I'd seen it like 20 times. It's sort of my comfort movie. Like, it was what I just went to because it was so entertaining and hilarious. And, you know, obviously as a kid, I wasn't watching it like, oh, this this is such a great set. I just thought it was hilarious and entertaining and I loved it. And so I I actually didn't know there was a book until like five years ago. I thought it was just always a movie and I'd never thought of it as being a book. And, um, yeah, I was happy that I read the book in the way that I did, too, because it I enjoyed it's it so amazing. much more. Yes. Which we could talk about when we get to the book, the my ability to piss off half the internet. But I, I was more interested. I it's actually a great book to deconstruct and talk about critically. Not only because it's fantastically written and the multiple levels to it, but uh it's uh oh god, it's so fascinating. Especially if you come to it with a love for like romantic fantasy. Mm-hmm. We'll get there. We will get there. I mean, I do feel like th- this book, right, even if the story might not be something you like, just because it's fairly um, 
it's, it's somewhat unique in, in its construction. So it's, it's a great intellectual exercise regardless of how you feel about the story. Yeah. Uh, this was, I read it in preparation for the podcast because I've seen the movie and I haven't ever gotten around to the book. And it was just a fascinating exercise. And I know, and I feel like at this point, to assume all the listeners know exactly what's so unique about the book? Or should we go into that a little bit? <laughs> <laughs> we might as well go into it. Yeah. Now, if, yeah, let's see. We you did look our at, homework. Look, you look at the cover, <laughs> and did, it says, The Princess Bride, S. Morgenstern's classic tale of true love and high adventure, the good parts version, abridged by Wil- William Goldman. The joke being... There is no S. Morgan Stern. All and of it I was... did not know that for a long time. <laughs> there is no unabridged version. Yeah. Me and my friends spent a lot of time on the internet looking for the unabridged version. <laughs> I was 14. I had an excuse. No, 15. 16. Okay. <gasps> move on. Move on. Oh, it's So basically, the, the frame premise of the book starts with the cover. Yeah. Yeah, it's... <sighs> And I, uh, because I've only recently read it, the edition I have is the what's called the 30th anniversary one. Yeah. So there's a lot of additional, you know, there's now two additional intros, the 25th, then the 30th edition, then there's like the epilogue editions and the, the quote unquote sequel sample chapter. And I was telling Raiden that I actually uh, went to the locations in the Kindle file and did the math. All of these extras form 35% of the Kindle file. Thirty-five <laughs> percent. Yeah, sixty-five percent is the actual Princess Bride. The rest of it, but it's still part of the story. Yeah, it is. It's really amazing when you when you stop and think about it. Mm-hmm. And I, it doesn't, you know, Kaylee says her excuse was she was fourteen. But when I first started looking into it, even if you go to the Wikipedia page, it confuses the hell out of you. Yes. Yes. Uh, which I, I'm hoping is the people who are editing that page are like, let's make this even even more, more confusing, confusing for you. Yeah. Like, yeah. Let's trick everyone in the way that we were all tricked. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, I think... Fairflow, Goldman put the effort in here. I mean, he's con- not only constructed this entire offer for the story, but he's constructed an entire fictional life for himself. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Because in the abridged version, he's talking about his own childhood and having this book read to him by his dad and having his dad abridge it for him. And then talking about his life where his, I mean, in this version, I think he's a psychiatrist or his wife is a psychiatrist. His wife is a psychiatrist. Which, yeah. So he, he invents a wife, which isn't actually, he has actual real wife and a son. He has he two daughters. Have, he doesn't have yeah. a son. Right. And the funny part is, according to the Wikipedia entry, the original idea did come from a story he was telling his daughters. And then he felt too lazy to write the book, so he said, I will just abridge the parts I don't feel like writing. (laughs) (laughs) Which is amazing. That is amazing. It is, it is amazing. It is amazing. But it is the most confusing, and the experience I had reading it is I could never quite tell where might be the grain of truth in all this fake autobiographical information. Because, you know, it's a fact that he was a screenwriter for... uh, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, right? Yeah. It's a fact mm-hmm. that he wrote Misery, the Misery screenplay for Stephen King. So yeah. when he tells us stories from the making of the Princess Bride movie, how many, how much of the stories are true? You know, which conversations actually happen? 
versus which didn't at all. So it's it's kind of fascinating trying to imagine how much of it could be a real thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And but what really interested me, what I latched onto, I know, is that I think the Bill Goldman he write the persona he creates for this book is an asshole. Like that guy well, is not likable the least. No. No. <laughs> no. 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 And that was that was one of the things that people got mad at us about is <laughs> when when Mark did review the Princess Bride, he you know went into as if Morgan Stern was real, as if everything Goldman said in his autobiographical stuff was you know the absolute truth. And people would be like, but but then you're just buying into the fact that this guy is a racist asshole and and it's awful and how can you do that? I'm like, well, pretty easily just watch us. <laughs> it was what well, was interesting to me because I went into it um that joke of, of S. Morgan Stern is funny and I think you can't ignore the joke because that's what is that's what part of the charm of the book is for me. Is mm-hmm. that it's it's especially once you realize you realize how p- terrible the lies are. They're not. It's not something you, you go back and you're like, wow, this is this this is a really good fake out he did on us. I'm like, no, it's terribly designed because you take five seconds on the internet and you find out it's not true. You know, so before the internet. <laughs> well, okay, yes, that's true. Okay, I'm I'm speaking of it, reading it like a year ago. So <laughs> yeah, that is true. But um, no, I I. I think I, I wanted to go into it just being like, look, this is a work of fiction. This is what we all do. What was interesting to me was some of the people who were most adamant about what a terrible experience it was to accept this joke and keep it going are people who I later found out are really big into writing fan fiction and role playing on the Internet. And I'm like, <laughs> that's literally what we're doing. We're role-playing and pretending this world is real and Florin is real and all this history is real and we're just having fun with it. It doesn't change our opinions about the book. And any of the critical stuff I wrote is still the same opinion about what I liked in terms of the tropes that were twisted and upended versus the ones that Goldman actually accepts and just puts in there and, and, you know, and how charming a lot of the romance is, regardless of whether the S. Morgenstern joke is accepted or not. Like, that doesn't change the actual content of the book mm-hmm. for me personally. Yeah. I mean, I got the idea, like in the comments, I was the biggest Morgan Stern Pierce troll on the planet. <laughs> <laughs> so much fun. <laughs> and I got the idea, I think at your first Boston appearance, when somebody asked you, so which edition of the princess bride are you reading? You're like, uh, I don't know the one that I have. And I said, well, it's the Morgan Stern, right? And everyone's like, ah, you're very funny. And I'm like, yes, I am. Yes, I am. And I'm just going to keep fucking, keep this going. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's pretty great. And I like, you know, if, if he does ever finish his, um, a Buttercup's Baby, which, and that's the part part, when oh you look up, when you look he it up won't. on Wikipedia and they talk about the quote-unquote sequel, but then there's, like, there's the fictional sequel, but then there could be an actual sequel, and you never I, know whether they mean he's actually working. Yeah. <laughs> real I with- think, I have, I, you know, I went through all of the, the, the Mark Reed's entries, because I didn't have time to reread the book, um, and somebody pointed out that Goldman at this point is 92. 
He's 82. He's 82? Okay. And that he kind of has sideways acknowledged that nothing he could do in this world will ever be as good as the Princess Bride. And (laughs) if he could do it, then sure. But he doesn't actually think it's possible or really that wise. (laughs) Yeah. Which, quite frankly, is very refreshing to hear from an author. Yeah. yeah, that's true. But the quote he's got here when someone asked him about writing the sequel, he says, I desperately want to write it and I sit here and nothing happens and I get pissed at myself. I got lucky with the Princess Bride the first time and I'd love to get lucky again. Oh, welcome to the world of every writer ever. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He yeah. hasn't well, written a screenplay in about a decade, if I remember correctly. Not since yeah. it was a really terrible Stephen King movie, which I'm looking up on Wikipedia right now. Dreamcatcher, that's it. Mm-hmm. Oh, so, yeah, which is not... <laughs> not good. It's just a pity because Buttercup's Baby, the this quote unquote sample abridgment chapter that's included with the latest edition, has my favorite turn of phrase in the entire book. <laughs> and which it, it's the point at which he calls uh, Inigo Montoya a Spanish revenge machine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I just had to good. stop there and laugh. And <laughs> that is an amazing phrase. It is. Spanish Machine. Oh. oh, it's lovely. So, so yeah, so all this extra material, it's basically another novel. It's more or less, mm-hmm. you know, the, the fictional life of... But I also love the way he uses it within the text. Now, for those who, who haven't read it, is it's and not just... Why haven't you? Yeah, Please yeah. do it, because it's, seriously, yeah. It's an experience, <laughs> and it's not just the prologues. He... He uses this uh, conceit to interrupt the narrative of the story and, you know, just go on these long asides about, like, it it allows him to just have stream of thought, you know, as an author, he can actually just put all his thoughts on a page right there and not have to Mm -hmm. wait till, like, the interviews or the book readings. (laughs) He beat them to the rush, so... I really love it when he does these things. Like he t- he says something is a great device, or Morganson did this really well, and you're like, "Oh, why don't you pat yourself on the back?" <laughs> just right here. Oh, it's pretty great. I mean the and Kaylee, I- I'm not trying to hurt you. <laughs> <laughs> you're never trying to hurt me. That's what you always say. That's true, but you know. <laughs> Intention is not magic. I don't know. Anyway, um, the main criticism I have of of what Goldman did with the novel is he talks about how this is the good parts version, and he mentions all of the stuff he cut out, and some of it is like, you know, dry historical blah, 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 blah. But the other parts of things that he cut out were the things that were centered around the bare handful of female characters. So mm-hmm. we get, there's a jump from Buttercup as this girl on the farm to Buttercup as a princess. And there's what with one thing and another three years passed. And in that three years, she learned how to go from the farm girl to the princess and that's cut out because that's girl stuff and that's boring. But then we get 15 pages on Anigo's journey Training, from yeah. the son of a sword maker to the Spanish revenge machine. 
and that's that's all left in because that's boy stuff and that's important and when i realized that that was a thing it did kind of leave a bad taste in my mouth Mm-hmm. Yeah, I understand that from the point of he's abridging the story as he remembers it as a boy being told by his father. But it is sort of irritating, particularly since in fictional William Goldman's world, he has a son and not two daughters. Mm-hmm. And I wonder why he made that arbitrary change. Because, you know, it's not like girls don't like to read about sword fights and giants and pirates. Right. Mm-hmm. But still, it it comes down to what is coded as feminine is still considered to be less important and less interesting and just less than anything that's coded as masculine. And the only princess lesson we ever have any details about, and that again comes in Buttercup's Baby, is that we learned that she was supposed to have lessons on how to have sex, but Mm. Prince Humperdinck bribed her instructors not to actually tell her anything. Mm -hmm. I don't know. It's really strange. I'm not sure what Humperdinck's motivation for that would have been. And, and I'm not sure what like the, the joke was, but I guess it was just, you know, it was supposed to be a sex joke in the book. But that's the only thing we know about the lessons. At some point, she was supposed to have been taught how to have sex by men, by old men. How creepy mm-hmm. is that just to imagine? <laughs> well, can, can you hear the horrible, awkward silence as you're talking about that? That's how <laughs> yeah. 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 I think we're all like, oh, you're okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh. Pretty much, yeah. the funny, and that the princess lesson actually reminded me of the. Uh, there's uh, an old Russian movie, but it's actually based on what I believe is a is an actual, maybe not medieval, maybe Renaissance Spanish play. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know that it's well known in the West. And one of the basic ideas is that there's this beautiful gypsy dancer, and the king wants her for a mistress, so his pr- prime minister arranges for her to get married to a title nobleman who's about to be executed so then she can be his widow and have the title and for a few years she gets lessons on how to be a lady and the Russian movie actually has a bit of a montage on you know learning music and learning how to dance the court dances and things Mm -hmm. like that so whenever I think of Buttercup's princess lessons I always think of that montage yeah (laughs) I'm learning how to be a lady in you know medieval Spain (laughs) (laughs) although in the book and now he says Florin, his made-up countries are what? Somewhere in Northern Europe, right? Between Sweden and Germany, he said? That's where yeah, he them? Yeah, basically, vaguely sort of around Belgium. Yeah. <laughs> but the <laughs> names also, I think at one point he mentions that the names, or it might have been on Wikipedia that I read, like the name Buttercup, right? Mm-hmm. He, because he was telling his, what, almost toddler daughters the story, and then the name just kind of stayed. Yeah. <laughs> so her name was still Buttercup. I always I remember watching the movie for the first time and I and I loved the hilariously silly names. Mm-hmm. Yes, I well, I used to think it was Humpadink the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's my only like wor- that in Boston. Humpadink. Yeah, my, Humpadink. <laughs> my entire world was shattered when I found out that was not actually how you pronounce it. Aww. <laughs> <laughs> I. I feel like when I watched it the first time, I was totally like bought in by the Wesley was killed by the man in black. And then, oh my god, the man in black is Wesley. Spoilers! <laughs> yeah. Do we have to warn, I don't think we have to warn for spoilers. I hope yeah. people are listening to this. The book like, is 40 really? years yeah. old. Yeah. <laughs> oh, how sad. Oh my god, the movie really is like 30, 
Yeah, no, they had the thirtieth. Yeah, that's why it's the thirtieth anniversary. Yeah. Yeah. The book is forty. Oh my god. The book is not quite forty. It's thirty-seven. Shut up. No, it's nineteen seventy-three. Oh, the book is exactly forty. Yeah. (laughs) me happy birthday princess right yay happy birthday yay yeah oh my goodness oh, it's um one of the things i always uh wondered whether you know one of those is it true or did he make it up for the book but he has a bit in the intro where he talks about the fictional william goldman seeing andre the giant like on tv and saying that's my uh fezzik and i always wondered if there were a little bit of truth to that about the, like his casting of the characters I would like to believe that because Andre the Giant is a perfect. was a beautiful, perfect human being. And <laughs> oh, actually, by the way, I just looked up. It's not quite the 40th birthday of Princess Bride. October 8th, 2007. Oh, okay. Or I'm sorry, October 8th, 1973. Right. So it'll be this year. It'll be. It'll be. We're almost there. Yeah, I think that qualifies it as a classic. I love that we remember when, um, because the cover says S. Morganston's classic tale, and he then comments like the the go- the balls on of the guy to call his book a classic <laughs> when he wrote it. Yeah, <laughs> ah, I see what you did there. Yeah, <laughs> but he wasn't wrong. You know, it's not hubris if you turn out to be right. <laughs> it's only hubris if you fail. Yeah. Isn't that a Rome quote? Yes, it is. Yes, it is a Rome quote. <laughs> Podcast continuity. That's right. That's right. Call back. Call back. <laughs> I have to say, one of the things that impressed me when I was reading it is that really, for uh, what's ostensibly a children, and it's weird, the book is a children's book, but all the intro parts are really not. But then even within the book, there's a lot of really dark things. Oh, my God. Yes. So many. And I, I think the movie might have softened them. But from, it, like, the torture. Ma- okay. And what is with the eyes? He keeps on putting stuff on the inside of eyelids. And it creeps me the hell out. No. Yeah. Stop talking about the insides of eyelids. Yeah. Oh. I I remember the and uh, We're going to. I'm going to. Oh. I'm going to edit that bit out. <laughs> <laughs> I remember when I first read it, it it had like the the cover from before the movie. So it was it was I'll find you a picture. Um but I remember being really quite disturbed by the zoo of death. Amongst many other things, but yes. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god, the pain machine. Yeah. No. 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 Oh, the, and it's, you know what? Really, the most disturbing part is the dog. Yeah, yeah. I would, I would also say the way it's written and how matter of fact and clinical it is is also because the book is can be so silly. Not that it's a silly book, but at times it can be very, very silly and playful. And it's like almost in the turn of like ten pages, it's just this very clinical description of what's happening to him, and you're just like, I, I'm gonna go hide in blankets. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the bit that really freaked me out is the fact that Inigo is essentially holding his insides inside oh, himself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. yeah. I mean, that's, yeah. that's dark. Yeah, it really is. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, even in the movie, he's clearly bleeding a lot. And yes, yeah, way more blood than you could get away for that sort of rating of a movie now. Yeah. yeah. 
I remember, oh, I remember it, Raiden. I emailed you because I didn't want to forget to bring this up. But I, as I start reading it, I really felt that if we can call any of uh, more contemporary books to be a kind of spiritual successor, I really felt uh, a series of unfortunate events. Ooh. Yeah. It really reminded the spirit of it. So obviously the series of unfortunate events being the more recent one is the call back, but because I read them in the reverse order. So as I was reading this, I was just strongly reminded of it. And in some ways, not just because Daniel Handler had also a conceit of a persona author, mm-hmm. but all it there was something not anachronistic is not the right word, but anachronistic because you know how in the Princess Bride, you know, it's supposed to be set sometime in medieval uh, in Europe, and you kind of get the feeling it's probably earlier than the Renaissance, probably medieval times. But of course, the language he uses is contemporary slang. Mm-hmm. Which is always hilarious. Oh, there it is. Right? What like when a princess says the word dopey or anything like that. It's just so funny. Mm-hmm. But it reminded me of a series of unfortunate events where it kind of has that indeterminate time period. So the language is kind of casual. And also the darkness where it's a ostensibly kids book, but with some really dark things happening that you as an yeah. adult can read between the lines. Mm-hmm. So for those who haven't read The Princess Bride but have read this more recent one, if you liked it, you're probably going to like The Princess Bride a lot. Yeah. Yep. I um, just linked. It's the second link that I just sent of the, link the, in the show notes <laughs> cover. But it will be in the show notes because... Oh my god! What the hell is that? It's <laughs> <laughs> like a princess <laughs> of Mars more than anything else. <laughs> Is that tentacles? I yep. know! What? Is that supposed to be a heart? Is that a cross-section of an actual, like, heart? I know. There's, like, accessory I... beads, and there's skulls, and tits, and wow! <laughs> Someone didn't read the book! <laughs> <That's>... <laughs> or did, and had a very different interpretation than every other person ever. Never leave me alone in the, a room with that person! I know. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that is brilliant! <laughs> Okay, backing away slowly. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that was worth it. And now that Raiden has sufficiently broken everybody on this podcast. Well played, well played. (laughs) Did Count Rugen design that cover? I don't oh know. my god, That's probably. <laughs> I think somebody might have thought that his exploration of pain was a real book. Sunil is a uh, spectral bovine on Mark Does Stuff, and he, well, while we were playing the game, he declared himself to be the long-lost heir of Count Rugen. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Whatever happened to Countess Rugen? Didn't she just disappear from the book? Um, you know, female characters just kind of... As I recall, again, it's been a year since I've read it, and I I remember we had a discussion about this in the comments, that she she left him, or he possibly killed her. And I feel like Sunil and I went back and forth with me, you know, blatantly saying that she moved to Paris because she couldn't put up with Rugen shit anymore, and because I'll, I'm, a, you know, I just finished the book last week, and you know she's there, and then she just goes poof. Mm-hmm. Her only job was to make Buttercup jealous. Yeah. 
Yeah. Now I can't remember. What did I happen can't remember. Her? I'm looking through the... I think she honest... I think that scene where uh, Count Rugen and his wife meet Buttercup and Wesley for the first time, I think that's the last time we see her, quite honestly. She's only got two lines of uh, character description on Spark Notes because, yes, I have Spark Notes open. <laughs> Count's wife, the that's Countess like... is the most fashionable woman in what would become Europe. Her attentiveness to Wesley stirs envy in Buttercup. Ah, that trope. Yeah, and then... And that's that... two more lines than the Queen gets. <laughs> yeah. Um, because we... we... You know, he spends time in the beginning describing the Countess and her wardrobe and her the fact that she is a fashionable woman. So he spent some time on her. Why is she just gone? He spends more time on her than the Queen. But I did find it really amusing how the Queen and Humperdinck have this really kind of cordial good relationship. But yeah. Humperdinck calls her the evil stepmother because she's supposed to be because she's a stepmom. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and Goldman did a really good job of of playing around with the tropes and being like this trope we're just gonna fuck around with it a little bit Mm -hmm. probably one of the um the where as a reader you feel a little bit punked there was that thing when uh, oh buttercup's nightmares before Mm -hmm. we get into the thing but how creepy were the whole nightmares (laughs) yeah it's nightmare fuel as nightmare fuel yeah exactly yeah Buttercup says, like, I'm just not going to go to sleep, and you were sitting there going, like, I'm right with you. (laughs) (laughs) Really? Because, damn! And you're supposed to read this to a child? I would skip those bits. (laughs) Reading it to a little child. But in one of them, she dreams that the king dies, and Prince Humperdinck is now a king, and then but it, it flows into it, and then Goldman, the persona, stops the story to say, S. Morgenstern just played a trick on you. And then it comes up again in a later chapter where he has to stop it again and say, remember, the king's not really dead. And at that point, I just felt so confused. <laughs> <laughs> so confused. <sighs> oh, it's it's good. It's I'm, I can't imagine writing it... Like it feels like it would have been such a gleeful exercise where he gets to just play all the jokes and write all the witticism he's thinking just because that's the conceit he created for himself and yeah I think it must have been a ton of fun to write it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, he says um, there was I remember reading now I'm trying to find it uh, where he was talking about how he finally figured out how to write the book. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, here we go. Tennessee Williams says that uh, this is a quote from him. Tennessee Williams says there are three or four days when you are writing a play that the piece opens itself to you and the good parts of the play are all from those days. Well, The Princess Bride opened itself to me. I never had a writing experience like it. I went back and wrote the chapter about Bill Goldman being at the Beverly Hills Hotel and it all just came out. I never (laughs) felt as strongly connected emotionally to any writing of mine in my life. That's kind of arrogant and beautiful. It was totally totally new and satisfying and it came as... Such a contrast to the world I have been doing in the films that I wanted to be a novelist again. Oh. Aww. Kind of all. And then you're like, that's the one part <laughs> that inspired you? You're, you at the Beverly Hills Hotel? Ogling a starlet. Yep. That's the part where you're like, did you write this about yourself? Because you made yourself a dick. Yeah. Maybe he always secretly wished he were. Maybe that's the point. <laughs> he's not just made himself a dick, he's also made himself the editor. Do you think he's maybe sort of having a pop at the people who do edit work in that way? 
Ooh, no, because maybe. there are a lot of writers who really, really want to do stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I don't, you know, I can't imagine, can you imagine being his editor for this book and going, like, I don't know what I'm supposed to edit, like, am I supposed to leave notes? And he actually has this joke where he said, the, in the, in the book, he, he says his fictional editor sent him notes going, just like, give it up right now, don't know what's going on, do not have enough liquor, <laughs> send booze. Because I can't imagine actually editing this book and go like, Bill, I've known you for 10 years. None of this has happened. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. <laughs> I'd love to know how much editing this, the final book actually received. Yeah, there's too much meta right there. Like, you'd have to be editing someone's editing of an you edited... Oh, my, my brain already... It's... I'm done. Here's a bit. This this is from uh, one of the introductions. This is the third anniversary introduction, and he talks about the making of the movie, and the bit where um, Robin writes. Was she Robert Wright Penn at the time, or just Robin Wright? Uh, just Robin Wright. Robin Wright. Yeah, at uh, as Buttercup, and her dress is supposed to catch on fire as part of the set, <laughs> and he said. At which point, so humiliating, I start to shout, her dress is on fire, her dress is on fire, totally destroying the shot. And Rob, the director, yells, cut, turns to me, and in a voice I can still hear, he says with all the patience he can muster, Bill, it's supposed to catch on fire. <laughs> and I, I just love imagining that that's true, that he actually did that. that I think so that is true, because I think I remember Rob Reiner, who... who'd gives terrible commentary by the way but i think i remember him talking about it in the commentary for the movie and i mean it's like 20 years later when he's recording the commentary and he's like you can still hear him face palming <laughs> i i believe that memory is accurate <laughs> so at least it's got some self-deprecation so that's there's real self-deprecation along with the the face yeah oh <laughs> uh. Because can you imagine, you know, if you're one of those people who are reading this for the first time and you think it's all real, so you think he really did have a wife named Helen, like, can you imagine the sympathy you would feel for the woman? She's <laughs> <laughs> putting all of the kind of thing he's... But I, I love to think that he really did have a teacher named Miss Roginsky, or at least he did had a teacher yeah. who had that effect on him and that he maybe sent her the book or his first novel when it got published. I, I think that's really sweet. I think everybody needs great teachers like that, whether they were actually your teachers or just like mentor figures. Always, I, I love those bits. I think the really the first chapter of the actual book is when you can kind of tell that it was a first a story for little girls. Mm -hmm. When he goes into this whole like the most beautiful women in the world, mm -hmm. and he comes up with these hilarious stories of how they 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 stop being beautiful. <laughs> they frown too much. <laughs> Oh, it's a beautiful book. It's actually not that long. Like I have no, no yeah, idea of what the physical read. size is, but it it was it was kind of a short read. Uh, in the Kindle edition. So yeah, I th has this been fairly painless for you, Kaylee? Yes, I'm. I'm. I'm still happy. <laughs> I think everybody here loves the book. We just yeah, it's I worth do. talking about. Like, there's so much. <sighs> no, I'm not. I'm not going to grab my book and run away. Don't worry. <laughs> uh, I don't know, Mark. How did how did it compare reading this compared to the more conventional novels for Mark reads? 
Uh, well, I mean, it was the first thing I had done where spoilers were allowed. That you could sh- because I'd watched the movie so many times. I was like, mm-hmm. it's, and I was worried about going into it. I'm like, how am I going to have things to write about? I have this very specific, pa- you know, s- system that I go about reviewing the things I read. And this one, I know everything. But the thing is, is the book is really while the general story is the same, the book the book is not the same. Totally, it's different. Mm-hmm. The you know the fact that it's uh, the S. Morgenstern joke is the way that Goldman comes up with to interrupt the story. So in the movie, it's obviously you know Fred Savage and the grandfather, and it's a it has Peter a total Falk. Oh, yeah moment I mean, there of was, silence yeah yeah oh um, <laughs> it was great it was super fun and the fact that so many people played along made it fun because again it was like a giant game of role playing mm-hmm. and it was really satisfying. <laughs> was it satisfying to troll like your yes characters for a change? Oh my I god. <laughs> I when I was when I went into it, I honestly thought everyone would think would just get it and we just move on. I didn't think people would interpret it as trolling because I all my reviews are very genuine. That's actually how I felt about everything. But because people couldn't get past the fact that I accepted the S. Morgenstern history, they thought everything I was saying was a lie. And I'm like, no, that's how I feel about the book and how I feel about this characterization or this word. None of those things are false. At all, it's just the one thing at the beginning. So then it became satisfying to troll people because people got so mad at one <laughs> joke. Then it became satisfying. Yeah, I, I think it was on day two that I lost my shit completely and yelled at people. <laughs> 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 and everyone's like, oh my god, calm the fuck down. And I'm like, okay, that's, yeah. Because I had been getting emails from you going, oh my god, people are de- like legit pissed off about this. Yeah. <laughs> and we had been kind of plotting over on Spoils, like w- kind of a general idea of what we were going to do. The plotting th- flew out the window after day one. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and we we're just like, okay. We're just going to go with the ro- the rules of role-playing and improv. You cannot negate your person's, anybody else's reality. Other than that, go nuts. And, like, I, I like, kept a, a... I ended up having 11 pages of a document of everything I'd written so I didn't contradict myself. That's beautiful. That's, <laughs> that's dedication. Yeah. Oh, well, like, I made up an entire legal system for Florin. <laughs> it wasn't... It was ridiculous. <laughs> oh, we need we need to post it for the show because I think that's beautiful. Somebody needs to send that to to William Goldman and say, like, I, "Look, I know that, that Pika Scribit was um was looking into it because mm-hmm. um, there there were some people who were like, "Oh my God, Goldman would be so insulted with what you're doing here," and the rest of us were like, "Well, no, because we're taking." the meta from Goldman's meta and we're shoving it up its own ass. And <laughs> it reminds me of how, you know, nowadays with all the, the Sherlock TV shows, you see these fans go going, you know, Arthur Conan Doyle would be rolling over in his grave and you're like, you no. really know nothing about, about yeah. no. Doyle and the way he felt about Sherlock yeah. too. And there, Okay, here is how Goldman ends, I believe it's the original introduction to the book, mm-hmm. which is Anyway, here's the good parts version. S. Morgenstern wrote it, and my father read it to me, 
and now I give it to you. What you do with it will be more be of more than passing interest to us all. Which, I mean, basically that's license to do whatever the fuck you want. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. And that's what we did, and... But that's what we do with all the stories we have when we're kids. We, even if yeah. we don't entirely remember them correctly, we have a version in our head which is usually better than what the reality is because of the way we've built it up for ourselves. Mm-hmm. He's just mm-hmm. telling you, go out and do that for yourself because, it, let's face it, sometimes it's more fun than the actual product. Right. Well, it's interesting that you bring up this idea that the original author might be rolling in which is my... <laughs> They're, they're not. Okay, but um, <laughs> yeah. it's funny that you mentioned Arthur Conan Doyle because I saw the best post... On Tumblr, which is that Arthur Conan Doyle definitely deserves the reward for the most successful unintended text post on Tumblr. Because that's basically what he did. Is he wrote those Sherlock books and had no idea they would turn into what they did. You know, and it's like you can't really control where that goes with the things that you write. Like, and he was forced to continue them. He was alone. forced to continue. <laughs> the man is like, I don't want to write this anymore. So there is. I wonder if I. <laughs> there's an actual post because there was that uh, the reason people know is that he wouldn't give a fuck about all the modern adaptations is that there was like a playwright who wrote to him and said you know may I please do this with Sherlock Holmes and I swear I'll be respectful blah 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 and Gordon Doyle's like kill him fuck do whatever I don't give a fuck there's an actual quote like he wrote back a letter and be like what, do whatever you want I couldn't care any less honestly I hate like I hate this character I hate that I had to write him you could do whatever <laughs> you know, you are sincerely Arthur Conan Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. So it's so it's so great. Like I love the delicious tears of like purists oh, who sit there screaming like this is not a female John Watson. You know how dare is so oh, please. Please. If you didn't complain someone. when it was a mouse, you don't get to complain when she's a woman. Yeah, exa- that's Thank exactly. You. Like, really? Literally you, we're going to have fun with that one. Do you know one of the best parts about the TV show Elementary? The credits are an homage to the, to great, the mouse, great Mouse, mouse Detective. detective. Yeah. <laughs> There's a great uh, gif set on Tumblr which puts them side by side where you see the exact bits. Mm-hmm. Oh, how can you not respect them after that? <laughs> We're going to do a, a Sherlock Holmes themed week, aren't we? Or month? Yes. Oh, yeah, no. Yes, we are. Absolutely. Stay yes. tuned, purists. You'll be disappointed. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that's why what you, the thing you did, Raiden did with Mark on, like, it's so great because it really makes fun of purists. Because Goldman himself, in within the writing, makes fun of purists. That's exactly. kind of the concept. Like, in the book, he straight out, you know, goes. If, the, if this was a real book and I was its fan, I would do these things to it. So why do you think he would mind when you do something to his book? Mm-hmm. It's almost like, you know, a carte blanche to go ahead and abridge or unabridge it further as you see fit. Yeah. There, yeah. there is only one purest hill that I will die on, and that is the publication order of the Narnia books is the correct order. The chronological ordering that C.S. Lewis came up with later is heresy. <laughs> and I will die on that fucking hill. I will die on it. I remember the first time I found out that wasn't even the order because I read the Russian translations and the edition I had collected four books into like one edition, but it started with uh, the sorcerer's magician's nephew. That, is that the English name? Magician's yeah. nephew and uh, and then Narnia, and then, or maybe it was three, and then the horse and his boy. 
Uh-huh. Yeah. So that's the order. And so I mentioned that. Cleo Linda's journal one day and she replied, okay, so you have the evil new order. Exactly. <laughs> that is heresy. That is wrong. That makes no fucking sense. And I will die on that hill. I'm making very emphatic hand gestures right now. <laughs> That's what happens when you have a long-running series and you have like the chronological orders versus publication orders. Yeah. Uh, we've mentioned I've mentioned on the podcast before the Enchanted Forest Chronicles by Patricia Reed. Her books run into the same problem, and I didn't know this because once again I read the Russian translations, and I actually read them out of all of those orders. <laughs> I started with a book that was book three chronologically, and like book four publication was the first one I read. <laughs> so I kind of read them in a random order and then put them together in my head. It was like making a jigsaw puzzle out of the book series. <laughs> but it's really funny when you can when you read the book that is really the first one published, but turns out to be the sequel of all, to all the other books and you can tell, and you can look at the things that the author probably planned at the time and the things that ended up really happening. Mm -hmm. This is an experience. Star Wars fans know very well. Oh my God. <laughs> the God. <laughs> How do you even begin to live life as a Star Wars purist? Isn't that logically impossible? Basically. I don't know. I, I keep, but they try real hard. <laughs> they they don't have, care. I have seen people who try to like take that bit where Princess Leia talks talk about her mother, and try to convince me that no, Lucas really meant that to be about her adoptive mom and not about like their biological mom. He knew from the start. So, oh god. No. Yeah. No. <laughs> I don't care how good of a mental contortionist you are. <laughs> good mental contortionist. That's to make this work, you cannot <laughs> make that work. Alright. That's my pub trivia name from now on. Good <laughs> mental contortionist. <laughs> <sighs> we'll be competing against Alina's Spanish Revenge Machine. <laughs> Uh, sometimes we will do that and record it for the episode. Yeah. <laughs> like a pop quiz. Yeah. Oh. Okay, so I think we've talked the book to death. Yeah. All right. So. No, it's only somewhat dead. Maybe only... mostly dead. Maybe mostly dead, but we'll give it a chocolate pill and we'll see what happens. <laughs> Don't go swimming for an hour, book. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> But the Especially if you're in a Kindle. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, yes, moment of silence for Kate's Kindle. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> if Aeon Flux dies, I'm going to have to call Kindle number four Kenny McCormack. <laughs> 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 For anime fans, her Kindle's been a bit of a Rei Ayanami. Sorry, sorry. I'll pretend I get that. <laughs> I am I said too. anime fans. I know people won't get that, but I know a few select listeners will really love me right now. <laughs> That's all that matters. Yes. <laughs> know your target audience. That's... We have one? <laughs> we might. 
We were recommended by someone. It totally counts. <laughs> someone who none of us actually knows. Exactly. Not of our yeah. mothers or coworkers. Linked I credited us. my mother. That's right. We love well, you. I credited your mother at one point. <laughs> uh, okay, so the book is now mostly done. Um, but of course, we need to talk about the movie and how personally. I think that it's the platonic ideal of a movie adaptation. I mean, I'm not going to disagree. Keep going. <laughs> I accept your premise. <laughs> I I think that yes, there were things that were changed because there are things that work in books that don't work in movies, and there are things that work in movies that don't work in books. And I think Reiner and the filmmakers did a truly excellent job of of adapting the source material so the the tone and the feel and the intention is all the same you know i have to wonder what the experience is like when the screenplay adaptation is done by the same author you know when he was doing it himself does that make it but i don't know that that necessarily always is a good thing because when the author himself is making a screenplay of his or her own novel i imagine sometimes you just get that tunnel vision and they can't step away from the product and see what really works and what doesn't yeah uh, i think it works for william goldman because he is an oscar-winning screenwriter anyway he knows how to do this he's adapted yeah. before so yeah he, he, i think he knows how to put enough distance between himself and his work to make it Work. the proper adaptation yeah. but it also makes me wonder if if there if there's anything when in such a situation there's something in the movie that wasn't in the book can we still consider it canon do you think I, i'm I, sure he probably separates them there's movie canon and book canon mm-hmm. that's my guess he compartmentalizes them yeah i would i, mean, I think that the shrieking eels work better than what was it in the the book sharks or something sharks. Yeah, yeah. Oh, the shrieking the eels work work better than the sharks. Yeah, that's where I was uh, going. With that. I don't think there's a lot. I'm looking, for example, at the USMDB page, and Count Rugen has a first name, and mm-hmm. I think in the book we we saw the prince address him by like a, a nickname at one point of the name. So when I opened the IMDb page, I was like, oh, that that's what that stood for. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it must be something. Uh, Goldman probably even thought of at the time it just it was never part of the book and now he yeah. he had a place to put it. Well, I'm trying to think of examples of other writers who've had to who've like adapted their own work. For well, there's Anne Rice for the Interview with the Vampire, right? I th- I'm she, pretty sure. I think she... I, I think she did. Okay. Let me look um, it up. She had a version of I don't know if it was the finished one. Hang I on know that the guy who did the script for Dances with Wolves. She, she is. She did do the screenplay okay. for the movie. I know that the guy who did the script for Dances with Wolves also wrote the book, but that's the case in which he wrote the script and chopped it around, and people were like, eh. And somebody said, hey, you should totally turn this into a book and then chop the script around and see if anyone bites, and that's exactly what happened. Mm-hmm. Uh... Oh, I just thought of an example. Yep. Mm. George R. R. Martin has written... A few oh, of yeah, yeah, he and did. He also, all the ones he's written for are really good episodes, so <laughs> there's that. <laughs> but I mean, that's actually a good example where there's a film or a TV canon and a book canon, and they're mm-hmm. different. Yeah. And I'm sure he has to accept that as well. 
And there's, well, actually, I know from, or it seems from some of the interviews he's given that in some ways TV canon is the stuff he wishes were. Like, it's the fixes that for things that he later realized don't work. For example, do you remember how in the first book, the first time we see Tyrion, he like somersaults? He's a ninja scholar. He oh, yeah. does this somersaulting jump off the top of a door to the mm-hmm. ground. But later in the books, he keeps on emphasizing his uh, physical infirmity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, there was an actual interview with him. I remember talking about the HBO shows where he said, like, I really wish I could have done that differently. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I think in some ways, you know, that because of how much control he has... He gets to... He gets to fix things. Yeah, he gets to fix things. Well, if there's anyone who's not going to be a purist about their own film adaptation, I think it'll be Goldman. Mm-hmm. That's very true. Yeah. yeah. And I think the, the movie comes out at like just over 90 minutes, right? Let's see. Yes. 98, 98. minutes. 98. Um, so they could have added about 30 minutes and still been at the like platonic ideal of the length of a movie because psychologically two hours eight minutes is a really good length for a movie i, I actually I wasn't at the time because i i seem to movies used to be shorter you know like the modern yeah. day two hours seems to be in the last 15 years or so i would say that at the time the movie was made at the 80s they were expected to be an hour and a half and no longer yeah I expect my movies to be longer if I'm forking out 15 bucks for a movie. Yeah, but at the time, you were <laughs> working over the the economic equivalent of yeah. 15 bucks. What do, we, what do we think about the casting? Pretty perfect? Yeah. yeah. Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. So, yes. Yeah. And we all forget that Rob Reiner was a really excellent filmmaker for a really long time. I mean, he did Spinal <laughs> Tap, he did Stand By Me, he did Misery, he did A Few Good Men, and then he did North. And it kind that of ended was there. the best yeah. burn ever. <laughs> that was the best compliment burn. We forget that he used to be good. That's awesome. <laughs> I'm, I'm literally looking up his, and it's like, yeah, he did. Stand by me, Princess Bride, Throw Mama from the Train, When Harry Met Sally, Postcards from the Edge, Misery, Few Good Men, Sleepers in Seattle, North. And then it's just not like everything after <laughs> No, that. no, no. Oh, Mark. He did the American President he after did the North, American but President, after that. Which we can't really talk about except to say, Mark, you need to watch the American Yeah, I was. I, I thought he would have, Mark would have kicked off the West Wing with the American President. No, oh, I wouldn't. No. I, yeah, I didn't. I might it's watch not, it at the end. It's not even a spoiler. Uh, I. I remember seeing this one description well, Sorkin, of it. Sorkin wrote the American president, right? Yeah, yeah. And and the the perfect description was somebody some some somebody somewhere in the internet, possibly on Wikipedia, said it was obviously a dry run for the West Wing. <laughs> I think it was on TV Tropes actually. They call it the dry run for the West Wing. <laughs> yeah. And Mark, if you hadn't shut down video commissions <laughs> I was going to figure out how much it would take to commission you to watch the whole thing. Oh, well, I think I'll do it at the end of West Wing. Okay. Yeah. Because it's, yeah. I always like closing series up like with something fun. So, yeah, I know. Yeah. yeah I, is... All I knew is Sorkin wrote it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, which, okay. by the way, I just he- checked the Wikipedia page for the American president and the, in, there's a legacy section that says influence on the, on the West Wing. And it says the screenplay which writer Aaron Sorkin told TV Guide he wrote while often high on crack cocaine. 
accurate. <laughs> there we go. That was a thing. He's yeah. a far less bearable human being now that he's off the crack. Oh, I don't want to make conclusions, but I'm just saying. No, <laughs> I'll make conclusions. It's just uh-huh. that Globe and Mail interview. Was, oh my god. Can't little internet lady. Is that the internet girl one? Yes. Yeah. Little internet. She's like, what? Is that even? That guy is such an asshole. Yes. It really is. My favorite quote about uh, Aaron Zorkin came from that interview. She said, you know, the greatest tragedy of Aaron Zorkin's life is that there won't be an Aaron Zorkin to write his biography and base a movie on it, but he's gone. (laughs) (laughs) She said, you can see it in his eyes. (laughs) The sorrow. (laughs) Did he do video um, ones yet? Because I think he might record his own. Yeah. So yeah, the Princess Bride movie. It's funny because I guess it's a hallmark of really good casting and and movie making is when you are a person who's seen the movie first and then you go to the book. It's so easy to just envision the actors. Yes. Right. It's really hard for me to visualize other people in those roles that aren't those from the film when I read that book. Like Andre the Giant, for instance, is Fezzik. There's nobody else. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I forgot Billy Crystal was Miracle Man. Oh, he's oh, great. He's so great. When he used to be funny. Oh, but yeah. yeah, yeah. But probably, I mean, aside from Andy Patinkin, I think Wallace Shawn is Vizzini. Inconceivable. Yes. He's so funny. Yeah. It was so nice to actually see, to see him on Gossip Girl. <laughs> yes, I watched yeah. Gossip Girl. So did I. I know exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> it's very nice. Yes, oh. Internet. I watched Gossip Girl. You want to make something of it? No. No, I'm I didn't think so. Okay. <laughs> the actor I probably remember, like, who stands out least for me now that, because it's been a couple of years since seen the movie, is the Count Rugen actor from the movie. I feel like Count Rugen was a smaller role in the movie. Am I right? I. Yeah. It's Christopher Guest. <laughs> I don't know. I don't. I, I mean, he's he's not so much acting as he just he makes awesome movies now. Right? <laughs> I remember the sort of geeky squee of joy I made when I found out that Christopher Guest is married to Jamie Lee Curtis. Is he? Really? Yeah. Oh. That's awesome. That is awesome. I know! <laughs> <laughs> oh. I, yeah, he is. Since the year I was born. Wow, we've been together a while. I remember the 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 delight I felt when I found out that uh, Tony Kurt, the Curtis from Some Like It Hot was Jamie Lee Curtis's father. I did that when I found out Janet Lee from Psycho was her mom as well. I love her. I was I was watching True Lies last night. So, well, yeah, True Lies is awesome. I'll <laughs> yeah, die on that hill. It really is. We'll die on that hill too. <laughs> no, 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 no. I think that would, that is a fact, undisputed, safe to speak out loud on the <laughs> internet. Phew. I had an acting professor from college who had a bit part in that movie. He had one line. <laughs> oh shit! <laughs> <laughs> what would you say back to the Princess Bride movie? What is the one scene you guys think is you remember? Like no matter how long it's been since you watched it. Oh, the poisoning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That and the first sword fight between um, yeah, Red yeah. Pirate and Angel. because I think it's funny. I don't know why I remember it, but the one scene I have a very clear image of. Carrie Elwes as like Wesley lying on the bed and going like there aren't enough you know perfect breasts in this world. Yeah. It would be beautiful. Oh, 
I remember Only when he watched could it that school, light he mark. said breasts and we all giggled like you're <laughs> a bunch of ten year olds. Oh, he said boobs. I just remember that clearly he mined on that bed kind of the, the Carrie Elvis, Elvis, you know, sexy smirk and the talk about I don't know why I just do. Oh, he's so great in that role. He really was. Mm-hmm. A couple of years ago, they did a live dramatic reading of the script for, um, I want to say it was right. the Paley Center. Yeah. But uh, they had Carrie Elwes play Humperdinck this time. Mm-hmm. And Paul oh, Rudd was Wesley. That must be like cognitive dissonance, you know? <laughs> yeah, his voice really hasn't changed. No, it hasn't. Oh, okay. I, I was going to say something really shady there. I won't. <laughs> <laughs> Remember, oh, Wesley, you were the name I gave to my second laptop. <laughs> a friend of mine was adopted by a kitty a couple of years ago. And, like, he showed up and was like, hi, I'm your cat. And she's like, I don't want a cat, but come on in and I'll give you some food and some water and a place to sleep. And we'll figure out what to do with you. And she realized after about a week of saying things like, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take you to the shelter tomorrow. That she was saying, good night, Wesley. Good work. Probably kill you in the morning. <laughs> and finally, she's like, okay, well, clearly I have a cat, and clearly his name is Wesley. <laughs> oh, does anybody else... Do you guys remember... And I don't know... I'm always careful to say things about Mark in case it's on the list of things to come. <laughs> Neil Gaiman Stardust. Right? Oh, yeah. Yes. And, oh, I, I've never... Reddit. No. Have you seen I the movie? Know. Uh, I'm gonna say no. Okay, there was a recent movie, and Robert De Niro plays this pirate on it. And for some reason, as I was reading The Princess Bride last week, I was envisioning like Wesley's <laughs> first captain, first dread part, Robert's captain, as Robert De Niro from the movie Stardust. <laughs> I, Those who have I seen it know why that's hilarious feel like the movie Stardust is an excellent spiritual successor to The Princess Bride, that oh, yeah. if you like The Princess Bride, you will like Stardust. You know, that is accurate. Which is what it has on IMDb is the first choice. Yeah. Mark, Mark, we have a new project for you. Talk about an instance of um, sort of uh, changing around things with the adaptation. The book mm-hmm. of Stardust is wildly different in tone to the movie. The book is far more of a a straightforward fairy tale in the movie is let's let's make Princess Bride. Right. Take that it's song really and, kind of and cross dressing and it's amazing. Oh god. The the Tumblr GIF sets that came out of that of uh of that of that character. Oh god. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's amazing. But that's what I envision now when I think of Wesley serving mm-hmm. under his his Dread Pirate Roberts. It's it's that movie. It's it's a really great visual, I have to say. It it amused me greatly as I was reading. <laughs> Uh, yeah, Stardust. Be- I could see. I could see where Stardust is a bit. You know what? Yeah. The more I think about it, the more it kind of makes sense. It's that kind of like a classic fairy tale, but it was written written today, so mm-hmm. it's got certain modern tropes. Yeah, it, kind of great that way. I really love. It. Do you think? Do you think we need more of these kind of classic fairy tales being written today? As opposed to just gritty fantasy the way we have with Game of Thrones. Yes. We always need fairy tales. Mm-hmm. I agree. Yeah. 
I like fairy tales. I grew up, I've grown up reading them. Mm-hmm. They're really, I don't know. I mean, I'm sure there are actually uh, fairy tales that we just haven't read mm-hmm. um, that are new versions of them. But yeah, I, I, I would like more, more genuine, mm-hmm. less jokey ones. But yes, yes. I think, if anything, books like The Princess Bride show you how it might seem fluffy and for kids on the surfers, but there's it really isn't. There's a lot of craft that goes into them and layers and subtlety and substance that adults can get out of them. Dev, that's always what makes me happy about a book. Mm-hmm. Layers. Yeah. <sighs> So we all agree that it's always time well spent. And we... <laughs> I feel like, are there really people left to convert to the Prince's Bride? Like, uh, you... uh, young people. That's yeah. Babies. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Introduce your children. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Bring up, bring up the next generation of geeks. And this is part of the core curriculum. If I were a parent, I would totally punk my kids with it. I would read it as if S. Morganstone is real. And I would abridge it, and I would just wait for them to be 15, 16 years old, and like, uh, you know, you lied to me! <laughs> you know, like, watch their world be just. Isn't that why we have kids? <laughs> to fuck with them? <laughs> Pretty much. I feel like that's true. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, right. <laughs> but considering the, our parents, I would guess that's accurate. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Of course, my parents listen to the podcast, so. (laughs) Hi, Mom. Hi, Dad. (laughs) (sighs) So, Mark, what what of your upcoming stuff are you looking forward to that you want to share with us? Oh, my God. Uh, All of it. (laughs) Oh, so much of it. Uh, Finally seeing Pushing Daisies, which starts in, like, July. Um, I'm almost done. Yeah. That, um, what else am I, I mean, more West Wing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or Friday Night Lights. Pushing Daisies. I'm so there for Pushing Daisies. That's good. Oh, oh yeah. Uh, Brian Fuller, I love you. Uh, he's great. Um, I, God, um, what, N.K. Jemisin's 10th, the Inheritance Trilogy. Mm-hmm. That starts in August, I believe. Um, and then really, just for the sheer experience, and I know it's going to be bizarre and fascinating, and a giant mess, but in October I start Supernatural. For Mark uh, it's just going to be a horrible mess, and I can't wait. That fandom is some of the strangest yes. and scariest. Yes. I feel. Yes. Like, I remember when you were on tour and you tell us stories about, <laughs> like My Chemical Romance fandoms from Buzzfeed. Buzzfeed, right? yeah, well, not Buzzfeed. Sorry, Buzznet. Yeah. Buzznet. Sorry, yeah, yeah, that. And I feel this. This is probably going to be a throwback for you to that kind of. Yeah. Well, I mean, but then there's the thing of people are always, we're always worried, you know, like when I talk with the mods and stuff, when I start something new, like, oh, who's going to be the fucked up person to show up this time? Like whenever, because whenever I start <laughs> something new, that fandom just like descends on the website. And we get a lot of new people and it's just this constant cycle. And um, I think the last time we were worried about it was for Lord of the Rings. Mm-hmm. And it, it did sort of happen. But not as bad as we expected. The thing is, is for the most part, people don't, because of the nature of the website, it's not a very quick, it's like you have to invest time reading in it every single day. And you tend to not get the people who are like on the fringes of fandom who are very loud and 
weird. So I don't know. I honestly don't think we're going to get a lot of the Supernatural fans who are more notorious for being horrifying people. Oh, my God. It's just that being said, I probably being just said, it. all going to show up now. Yeah, but see, I didn't know about that. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. <laughs> guys, let's tell the story. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, my God. Tell the story. We have no, to have a Mark story. No one. Okay, okay. Oh, my God. <laughs> no one. I, I've, I've since found out that all of the moderators talked about it. And they were like, I don't know if we should warn him. Is that a spoiler or not? We don't know. And they like agonized over whether or not to tell me, Mark, there is a contingent of the Buffy fandom that will ruin lives. (laughs) And (laughs) I unknowingly ripped off a fucking decade old fandom or a fandom wound, like ripped off the Band-Aid and just reignited this horrible shipping war of awful... And combine that with my opinions on, on season six of Buffy and how I felt they... I don't want to spoil this if you're not... So I'm just going to say Tara, the Tara thing. Oh. And my very, very bad negative opinions about how that was dealt with. So uh-huh. it was just this perfect maelstrom of awful where <laughs> I posted something critical of how they dealt with Tara, Tara and posted something critical of how they dealt with the thing Spike did. And it was just, it was like I had all the ingredients for a bomb and unknowingly had no idea, threw them all in a pot, and it was just like, boom! (laughs) Just for weeks. And it was something that, it wasn't like one day was awful, it was like three or four weeks of just (laughs) endless awful. I think, I feel like secretly this is why a lot of us are on your website. We just wait for that one thing to go off. Like, supernatural there's i mean the thing is i'm going into it i had originally i was like you know it's a show that's still airing it's very long i'm not going to do it and it was last year when i was on tour and i don't remember what city i was in but i had mentioned like oh one day i'd really like to do supernatural and this woman got super mad at me and she started yelling at me about like you better not ever do that you don't need to watch that show it's awful and <laughs> it was so presump- presumptuous that it was in that <laughs> moment i was like i'm going out of spite now you can't tell me what I'm going to watch. Like, that's really fucked up and kind of rude. And in that moment, I was like, I'm, I'm, as soon as I get a free spot, I'm going to watch Supernatural. And I'm going into it with the understanding that I love shitty horror. So, great. And I really haven't done anything that I've had the chance to, like, critically engage with in a more negative sense than positive. Mm-hmm. And that'd be kind of fun to, like, go into something and be like, look, this may not be the greatest thing in the world, but at least we'll... The experience might be fun, and the experience to talk about things that are bad. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't ever want to go back to a, a Mark Reed's Twilight World. <laughs> that was painful, but it would be nice to be able to talk about things and and explain why you do or don't like things in that context. If that makes sense. Yeah, it's yeah. fun too. Yeah. I mean, granted, this whole podcast we've been like, I love Princess Bride, but <laughs> you know, it's, sometimes it's fun to be like, here's why I don't like this thing. And, you know, with, within reason and, and mm-hmm. you know, not saying you want to murder people because of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I have to say, the thing I was looking most looking forward to in your schedule, and I was talking to Raiden earlier today, I, I've begun to uh, rewatch Babylon 5 again. And I was saying how I really need to convince Mark to watch this because this is <laughs> tailor-made for him to love and have feels over. No, I know. I That and Farscape are the two yes. that I have, like, this, this very, very dedicated... 
very polite group of people who are like, so are you going to watch this someday? And I'm like, I'll get to them. Like, oh, I, I will. They're on my list. I want to do them. But um, yeah, I've, that's that's kind of the easiest way to tell if I'll like something when someone says, like, this is tailor-made for your taste. Like, mm-hmm. just get along. There, there are, yes, there are writing and especially characters on that show that I feel would be very dar- dear to your heart once you're done with it. And I just want you to have that. That's why, that's why I did the Brian Fuller shows was because people were like, you, these are particularly made for you and your sense of humor and the things that you enjoy. And so now, and I'm, now I'm getting the chance to watch them and I'm like, Oh, y'all were right. <laughs> yeah. You were very right. It's like, this is my kind of taste and that's mm-hmm. fun. Yeah. Pushing daisies, I think is going to be a really great experience for you and your community. I'm so excited. Oh. I, uh, but I mean, you know what? It's nice. It's nice that there are literally like thousands of people who basically filter things and just get me to watch and read awesome things like that's so rad to have that like people who understand the things that you like and are like then you should watch this or you should read this because like I really haven't seen something I disliked or read something I hated in a really long time well okay not counting people bringing me bad fan fiction on (laughs) yeah but that's we don't count that this is the best part (laughs) oh I love the oh I count when you ask for it no Exactly. <laughs> it also doesn't count when it's supposed to be bad and you just want to yeah. I still remember the one you read for for the Mark uh, Reads Tour in Toronto a couple of years ago and I th- it's a great experience it's funny <laughs> Can you, how is that your job now for people know. to give you money because they want you to have feelings about things it's beautiful I don't question it it's I I don't know and it's it's my mom has barely started to understand what I do. Like, she finally gets it. Initially, she was just like, so you're writing TV shows? When can I tune in to watch? I'm like, yeah, that's, that's not how it's working. But, um, you know, like, she went when I found out about, you know, getting nominated for the Hugo, like, I called her and told her about it. And she was like, so what's the category for? And then I had to explain the category of a fan writer. And she's like, well, you won a thing, so that's good. I'm like, well, no, it's just the nomination. She's like, I don't understand anything. <laughs> I'm just like, it's okay. But I'm proud regardless. And really, you're the new internet generation of a critic. Yeah, yeah. 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 It's weird. I can't think about it for too long and then my because my brain breaks. You know, I, I'm no, thinking no, of <laughs> old, um, maybe I think there were like 40s and 50s. There's There are plays and then movies which are specifically about um, theater critics because at some point there was a whole upswing in like the snarky theater critic. And I'm waiting, and now we have these, you know, internet fan writers and critics, and I'm just waiting for that meta to circle when we have start having books about internet yeah. <laughs> the life of an internet writer. Right, and then and then we we get into the thing of how do we make getting on the internet and typing to be exciting? Yeah, yeah, which. You know, Mira Grant can do it. <laughs> Not many people can. <laughs> nope. Stephanie Meyer can't. I was just thinking that. <laughs> I was just thinking of her writing about going on your favorite search yeah. engine. Yeah, just, because, just type Google. Let's not pretend. <laughs> yeah. Well, we almost got like through a... this podcast without mentioning her. Right. And <laughs> Oh, is that a thing? Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it is a way to fail. I feel like I brought it up and it wasn't me. <laughs> well, Raiden was threatening to bring it up uh, because Stephanie Meyer made a quote about Buttercup. 
Yes. Oh, that made us all go, oh no, what? you didn't. What? Yeah, yes. I don't let, let, let's break she Mark with this thing. Mark, oh, God. sit down. I am sitting down. <laughs> Stephanie Meyer wrote her university thesis on the Princess Bride and how it was really misogynist. Yes. Um, well, when I was in college, I wrote a paper from a feminist perspective. It's an easy way to write. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. On the now. So I am a little biased. I believe this is an answer to a question about whose love story is better. The problem I have with Wesley and Buttercup is Buttercup is an idiot and doesn't bother anyone. All that matters is she's beautiful, and that is her only value. At the end, she redeems herself a bit, but the female characters are very weak in that story. Wesley is brave and smart in fights. Buttercup is just beautiful. It's her only thing. Her brain means nothing. Her personality means nothing to him. They have the kind of love where they can't live without each other. It's not a great example to me. Guys, did you Bella hear that? Bella Edward's love story is better than them. Did you hear that? Uh, the irony uh, bell just broke. <laughs> I think to replace something again. I think the sound Mark made is the sound Wesley made on the pain machine. Like, I think that was the sound. Yeah, worth it. Don't turn it up to the top. And really, I can't <laughs> form a sentence right now. Um, It's not even... Someone viewing the Princess Bride in a feminist, it, through a feminist lens and saying like, hey, I don't like that. That's not, it's the whole thing about like, oh, their romance is wooden and doesn't make sense. I'm like, what did you write then? Why are you writing that thing? Who did the thing? You did. It was you. Buttercup is an idiot and they only care about each other and that's it. Oh my God, there's a big pot and a kettle don't somewhere. don't care about her brain or anything she does. She's a black right. really. She has no personality. Oh God. Yeah. Oh God! I can't believe I can't believe that that wasn't trolling. I can't believe she probably actually she doesn't the things she said. She doesn't troll is the thing. What if Paltrow has more self awareness than Stephanie Meyer? <laughs> Ouch! <laughs> I went there. I said that. <laughs> <laughs> oh. oh! Wow! It's going to take a lot of time to get over that pain, isn't it? Yeah. Oh. Oh, I think this was all worth it just for the, the pain we just caused. <laughs> well, you know, that's why a lot of people like to watch Mark as he does stuff, is because there's pain involved. A lot of it. A lot it's of it. Slightly, slightly to make up for that, um, I will dig it out for you, but a few years ago they were going to make a musical of The Princess Bride, and it oh. got cancelled because William Goldman demanded 75% of the sh um, rights to it, um, but there are still some songs of it available online, and I'll dig them up for you, because they're absolutely beautiful. That's beautiful. <laughs> I love it. They're done by Adam Gettle, who did a musical called Light in the Piazza, which is mm -hmm. absolutely gorgeous. I think you can watch it on YouTube. It sounds nothing like any Broadway musical you've ever heard before. And he did such a good job in these songs, and I would really love to hear more of them, but I, there's only a couple sort of bootlegs floating around, so I'll dig them out for you. They were on a Broadway forum. Mm -hmm. so. oh, that's great. That'd be good. That would be good. I wish that were a thing. <laughs> Musical. Oh. So, we talked hey, about... We talked about the book. Books. We talked the about the movie. We talked about <laughs> stuff Mark does. I just have this idea that I really want 
next time you're in Toronto, Mark, I'm going to make a sign and make you take a picture with it. And it's going to say, like, we'll have feels for food. That's true. <laughs> it's literally true. It's literally true. I, that, that's a great description of what it is. Yeah, it is. Uh, I do have a tech rec for this month, people. I know I missed one uh, last episode. Of... We were too busy doing research for our purposes to, you know, do uh, a tech rec. Bloody good orders. <laughs> <laughs> you? Thank you. Pardon me? <laughs> I knew I, that was for Raiden. I knew she... Yeah. But the tech rate for this month is I thought I would take a quick look at the various e-reading apps available for smartphones and tablets. And really the main ones in contention are the Kindle uh, and the Kobo. And I'm going to mention one independent one for people who don't want either one of those accounts. Uh, I have both. I am unfettered by an actual physical Kindle or Kobo reader. Instead, I just use my phone. And it's great because I, I shop, comparison shop for the prices between the two stores and just buy where it was cheapest. I slightly prefer the Kindle one. I think they're both pretty well made. They both started out kind of shaky. Kobo was the worst one for a while, but they've really improved for those who maybe looked at that app a while ago and haven't gone back since. Um, Kobo has a slight advantage is that it's easier to navigate to the table of contents for some unfathomable reason. Uh, the Kindle app makes it, a five-step process to get to the table of contents. I don't know why. Uh, on the other hand, uh, Kobo makes it slightly harder to see where you are in the book. Like they choose to track your progress by the chapter, not necessarily the book as a whole. And I think when you're reading an e-file, sometimes you just prefer to know where you are in the book as a whole. It's not like you can open it and check. But I think they've both by now programmed really well. So if you're not looking at a, at a reader, not just looking at an app, grab either one and if you don't want one of the two major market ones and want something independent i would go into your app store and look for aldeco it's lightweight it has uh you know bookshelves and categories you can sort into it makes it pretty easy to import and all of it uh works great with the caliber ebook management program that i recommended i think way back when in episode one or two and that's your tech rec for this month Yay! And you all just missed my dad coming into my room to tell me that there was pizza. So, we should have gotten to say hi. <laughs> Absolutely. He didn't yell? No, he came in and started doing hand gestures as you were talking. <laughs> and then he um, said that there was pizza. <laughs> no, this, my husband, for you know, isn't allowed to talk if he's at home when I do this. It's really cute. But my cats don't get that memo. So sometimes in the background I'll start hearing the like the meows and I'll try to frantically like make sure they're not <laughs> into the microphone. Uh-huh. I have never heard your cats meow while editing, so that's good. I'm just saying they're not actually that well-behaved people. I think I just get lucky. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I think that covers it. Is there that anything does. else anyone wanted to say? We want to thank Mark for being here. I think it was great. Yay. Hey. Oh, it was fantastic. That went by <laughs> real quick. I just looked down at the like current call thing on Skype, and it says an hour and 41 minutes. I'm like, that felt like half an hour. How did that happen? <laughs> that's that's what we – I mean, this is a made-of-fail production. We're, we're kind that's of true. wordy. <laughs> <laughs> Wordiness is nothing new to Hugo Award-nominated fan writer, Mark Shiro. <laughs> that's, that's right. True. <laughs> um, so true. if you – 
happen if you listener happen to be a Hugo voter um, or you would like to be, you can buy a nominating a voting membership to Worldcon for $60 and you'll get the Hugo packet with all sorts of fun things to read, um, which is way more than $60 worth. I believe you get any, any of the people who are nominated for their, the books and the Mm -hmm. short stories and whatnot, you actually get them as part of the packet, which is pretty awesome. Yeah. So you're basically buying a bunch of books. You're buying a bunch of books for your 60 All kinds of stuff. Yeah. And uh, the voting deadline is July 31st. Yes. Yes. That's what Sunil told me. So I'm choosing to believe he is correct, which is kind of dangerous. But I mean, in this, he's probably right. We'll check on that for you. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, you can watch Mark do stuff at markdoesstuff.net.com. Net. 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 Markdoesstuff.net. And there will be links to Mark Reads and Mark Watches and other stuff. And Mark Plays. And Mark Plays. Although Mark Plays is kind of dormant at the moment. It's napping. It's napping. It's napping. Nap- it's resting. It's <laughs> napping until I get a copy of Dragon Age 2. <laughs> <laughs> and that would be a happy day in my life. <laughs> another place where the denizens of the mark averse the Oshiroverse, mm-hmm. hang out is uh, markspoils.blogspot.com. Um, and then Mark actually showed up there and it didn't open a black hole and it was weird. <laughs> 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 but it started off as a here's where we can discuss the spoilers where we were not going to bother Mark with them and it evolved into its own little community where people verb their own things mm-hmm. and involves posts like Pika makes cupcakes or redheaded girl gets hit by a car stuff like that no that was an actual post mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, and uh, you can follow the Anglophies on Twitter. You can email us at anglophies at gmail No one has done that yet. Come on, surely someone has something to say. Um, read that. <laughs> we don't yet know. I think we haven't yet finalized our next months, but we do have ideas, people. Yeah, we 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 finalized that. Did we? Oh yes, we did. We did. That's right. We did it's very exciting. Watch the space. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the month after that, we haven't we haven't finalized July yet. Yeah, if you have requests, people send us requests. Yep, we we'll take requests. We'll take it under advisement. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Within reason. <laughs> Within Having reason. said that, if you do say that I shouldn't read it I, or watch it, I will do the challenge accepted thing. So. <laughs> you know what? After last month, reason is really. Within reason is, is a very wide boundary on this podcast. That's right. And note that we're not saying within the bounds of good taste. <laughs> or propriety. Or propriety. Mm-hmm. What we're saying is, we'll take it under consideration. That's right. right. <laughs> <laughs> this has been episode eight. Eight? Eight. Eight. Yes. Sure. Eight-ish. <laughs> like that. Eight. It's Eight. At least one of us knows. We'll start writing it down next month. I think we all know that's not true. (laughs) (laughs) 
wonderful month, everybody, and we'll see you later. Bye. 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 Bye.